Praise God. Let's get into the Word today. If you have, if you have your Bible, go ahead and get that out. And uh, turn with me to the 34th Psalm. And we'll read our text. I've been teaching a series called The Real God. So we want to start with our text again. Psalm 34 and verse 8. 34 verse 8. Would you read this out loud with me? Did you find it? Did I give you enough time? It's right there where you left it last week. <laughs> Psalm 34 verse 8. Read it with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So in my endeavor to teach and explain what, uh, what I mean by the real God or who the real God is, um, many times people can be serving the true and only God, but have a false understanding about him. And that's what we want to work to clean up, to clear up. There's so much clutter and so, much, so many things to sift through when it comes to our, uh, our beliefs about things, excuse me, things invisible about the Lord. And some of it comes through religion and some of it comes through upbringing and just, I don't know, our own interpretation about things that have happened in life. But we often get it wrong and it takes a conscious effort to get it corrected. And, uh, and, and the way we do this is, is we seek to identify and eliminate wrong thinking and wrong beliefs about God so we can worship the real God. But we do this through meditation on the Word and through continually doing that, okay? And meditation, don't think of that as in some sort of odd chanting way. Um, <laughs> but meditation just means to think about, to ponder, to even mutter or to speak. But we stay in the Word day after day, week after week, month after month. We encourage everybody here to read at least a chapter of the Bible every day, kind of as a minimum, as a starting point. Many Christians don't do that, and it's evident. It's, it's obvious. <laughs> uh, but we encourage that because it is the thing that cleans us up, right? I mean, how do you even judge if what I'm saying is true? I mean, you're supposed to, right? I mean, we don't have some... We're not a... <laughs> Despite what you've heard, we're not a cult. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not looking for blind obedience or to control anybody or telling you, you believe it because I say it. We say exactly the opposite yeah. of that. Right. Judge everything we say by the written word. Yep. But if you don't know it, how can you do that? Come on. Right? But the more we get in the word, uh, day after day, week after week, month after month, um, it helps us to gain understanding so we can see God clearly, the way he truly is, the way he's revealed himself, not just our preference and what we want him to be, yeah. right? Now, last week, I was emphasizing the point that Jesus made, and, and this is, it's this, that we are only going to know the Father, we're only going to know God through Jesus. I can't bypass the Lord Jesus and come to the Lord. All right, I can't do that. Not only can I not be saved by going around the Savior, I also can't know God without the revelation that Jesus brought, okay? Uh, in other words, he didn't give the same place to any other person who is highly esteemed in the Bible, any of the Old Testament prophets, any of the great men of old, any of the patriarchs. Or, he didn't put any of them on this same plane. He said, I'm the only one who knows him. Yeah. Therefore, because of that, I want to gain my understanding of God through Jesus. 
And if anything is confusing or misunderstood, I'm going to run it back through the filter of what Jesus taught and what Jesus did when he was on earth. And then I'll gain clear understanding. John, the, you know, John, the apostle who wrote John and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. That John? I know there are a lot of Johns out there. Uh, <laughs> then and now. Uh, that John, he said this in 1 John 5 and verse 20. I like this from the New Living Translation. He said, and we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. How, do I, how am I going to know the true God? The Son of God came for that purpose. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. So that's why Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noon, and Jesus when the sun goes down. And that's, that's, that's what we preach, and that he is the visible expression and revelation of the invisible God. And again, that's one, some of the things I talked to you about last week. Today, I want to go a little bit further. I want to discuss one of, I don't know, for some, one of the more difficult subjects, and that has to do with judgment. Because when we are declaring again and again, God is good, 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 and and we see it in the Old Covenant. We see it in the New Covenant. He is declared as good. Yet also, if we are not going to skip over Scriptures, there are also many instances of divine judgment in the Bible. Did you know that? I know they're not the ones we stick on the wall. <laughs> I know we don't wake up and confess those every day. Because <laughs> they're not promises of blessing, per se. But we need to understand the reality of that subject and if I'm going to know God, I need to understand some of these, you know, scriptures that seem without understanding, without context to kind of throw shade at his goodness. All right. I don't want to believe something that's not true. And so understand this about the Lord, that God is just. All right. God is just. He sends the rain on the on the. All right, that was a point. Context. Can't you hear that? Yes. Okay. Yay, rain in the summer. He sends rain on the, on the just and the evil, right? And so God is just. He doesn't want anyone to suffer. It is not his desire that any would suffer. Uh, but he will not become unjust to achieve that goal. Everybody with me now? He is not going to break the standard of righteousness, of justice, so that people will avoid harm or, or you know, punishment, judgment, whatever you want to call it, avoid the consequences of their evil doing. All right. Now, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, uh, spoke much about justice. One example is in 33. Psalm 33, you're right there close. That's why I was having you turn to both, save you page turning time. Psalm 33, verse 5 reads, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now think about that. Goodness, but what's that tied to? Righteousness and justice. Would it really be good 
if there weren't righteousness and justice. If the earth were full of injustice, I'm talking 100% continually injustice, would it be good? Would there be any portion of life that were good if there weren't justice? Has anyone been treated in an unjust manner at some point in your life? Whether it was just being misjudged by another person or maybe some you know, legal thing or business thing or whatever. But so have you ever been treated unjustly? That's a horrible feeling, right? And God is a God of justice and justice is a good thing, all right? Now, when it comes to Jesus, he spoke about this subject and, and he listed justice as being a weighty issue, okay? When he was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 23, put that up for me, please. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the, what's the word? Weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Justice, mercy, and faith. I think we would all agree that faith and mercy are super important, right? Can't please God without faith and without mercy, <laughs> we're in trouble, right? And Jesus said, this is also very heavy. This is a weighty, this is a serious issue. Justice really matters to God. He is a just God. Now, uh, another passage that is often quoted, and it is in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Maybe you've heard it before. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, of course, this is great advice, great counsel for any of us of how we're to conduct ourselves, right? To, to, to combine justice and mercy. But if we're supposed to do it, what does God do? He's just telling us, this is the way I am. This is the right way to act. Have a good balance of justice and mercy. Think about it in terms of of parenting. Some, many of you are parents, or at least, or maybe you had parents, or know someone who's a parent. <laughs> I've heard the word parent somewhere. Can spell, no, okay. Uh, how many know good parenting involves a good balance of these approaches? You have to be just, and you also have to be merciful. Merciful because the kids aren't always gonna do everything right. But if you take any of these too far, what I'm saying, if one exists without the other, if everything's mercy and grace, well, the kids might know that you love them, but they're also going to have no restraint on their, on their uh, evil desires, their selfishness. They're going to have no restraint, and they're going to go into a life where their flesh dominates them, and they'll suffer the consequences, right? Some people think, well, I just want to love them. I just want to, well, love has boundaries, Right? But if you go on the other side, how I many know you could be all, all rule-oriented and not have any mercy, not help them to learn and grow and be compassionate and, and gracious towards them, and it's all law, and it's all rules, and it's all strict. And how many know they're going to be messed up if you have that in your home too? Yeah. Right? Probably all of us know people who have been on either extreme. And, and I know parenting's a challenge, but that would be the goal. Let's find that perfect balance and be like God. Yeah. He is just and he's merciful. But in his mercy, he doesn't erase justice. 
Ah, oh, you killed a couple of people. Psh, I'll just, never mind. Just, <laughs> I just love you anyway. I do love you anyway, and you're going to jail. <laughs> right? Because we can't let, that, let, let it be believed that that would be acceptable behavior. Because that would just perpetuate it. All right? I don't want to believe wrong things. And, and, and God certainly is not going to do that. He is not a wimp. He is not a pushover. He's not someone that you can just force to accept wrongdoing. He has a line. And in the middle of it, he loves. And he's compassionate. And whoever calls upon him, he's there to, to embrace, to, to, to lift up. That's his will. That's his, his desire. And so... Um, what kind of, you know, what kind of universe would we live in if there weren't ultimate justice? I mean, what, what kind of place would, would, would we be in if, if justice didn't ultimately prevail? How many know evil would run rampant? If there was never thought to be any consequence, sin would grow unhindered. It would be absolutely disastrous if there weren't justice. And so uh, think about these, these verses in in, in Israel's history, before they had kings, in, in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, it reads, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. Now, now, how many know that wouldn't be such a problem if people were righteous? Right. If they were selfless, if they had a desire to do what was right and serve God and, 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 and so forth. But when someone is motivated by wrong things and they are inwardly sinful or evil and everyone's going to do what they all decide is right, that's a recipe for disaster. And we're talking about a society full of chaos, okay? We all get to do whatever we want. You can see how in a fallen world that we're a part of, rules are necessary, they absolutely are required. Now, I understand you can take that too far. I believe as when human beings are running countries, they often get it wrong. I'm not saying I would do it perfect if I were in charge. I think it's a challenging thing to deal with a society of sinners, meaning there's a certain portion of them that will kill if you let them get away with it, right? They will do wrong things. But when people get out of balance and... And, and don't take this personally if you're from California, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, many people, many people have told me, because uh, many of you moved here to escape. Uh, <laughs> but many people have told me that when they try to do businesses, and that's just one example, there are other states that are just as bad. <laughs> Some of you are shouting out your states now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this one's bad too. But what I'm told is people who are in business is they say, there's so much regulation, so much red tape. It's hard to do anything. So taxes are real high. You got to jump through all these hoops. It takes years just to put up a building or something like that. And so they've obviously gone too far that way. And then at the same time, it's like backwards day there and other places. I'm not saying we have it perfect here in, you know, in heavenly Idaho. <laughs> But it's like they, they do it backwards. They, they, they do the opposite of what God wants. Here's what, here's what I mean by that, is, is overrule, over-restrict the law-abiding people and then take the rules off of those who want to do, do harm. That's why they got, you know, they got San Francisco. 
right? I mean, I'm, I don't go there anymore, but you know, they say drugs on the streets and all kinds of lawlessness reigns. It's like they're doing exactly what they should do, just backwards. Okay, that's what we want to avoid. This we want, we want to see, and I'm not here to you know, give government advice, but I might as well since I have some. <laughs> my, main fo- my main focus is to show us the way that God is and the way that he thinks. Rules really were not his original plan. It's, he wanted a relationship. You didn't need rule. He gave one, basically. You know, he told Adam and Eve, tend and keep the garden. Don't eat of that tree. <laughs> you know, but other than that, have at it. Say, why don't we go back to that? Because of the way sin exists in people. And you say, have at it, and they'll do like they did in the judges. Or like this, Genesis 6-5, right before the great flood. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So think about it. You're a good God. You are love personified. You, you know, it comes out of your pores if God has pores. He loves, he wants to bless, he wants to let people enjoy the pleasure of existence and a relationship with him. He only desires good things, just like parents today want for their kids. Yet this is what's happening. Yet this is the free will that he has granted. They have taken advantage of that in, a, in the wrong way, and they, all they want is evil continually. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Think about it. Say, well, if I were God, yeah, what would you do? <laughs> What would, because that gets perpetuated and then they have kids and those kids are born into hell and the suffering and the sin. You think, well, wasn't it wonderful? They all got to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, like hurt other people. That's the environment that would have existed. So again, we're like, what would I do? I might make it rain too. <laughs> For a lot of days. Find someone like, Noah, Noah, preacher of righteousness, and, and find someone we can start over with because more people are going to suffer if we don't intervene. God is good. Do you think he enjoyed that? No, I think it grieved him. But a good God, he had to do something, had to step in. This is the challenge we have in modern society. You know, we all want absolute freedom. I'm not a big fan of, I don't want a bunch of rules on me, but the more ungodly our culture is, society is, the more rules are needed to restrain evil. That's where I said finding that balance is a real challenge uh, in a fallen world. Not exactly an easy task, but you want to say, no regulation on anything. Yikes, I don't want to live by you. (laughs) Well, by you maybe, but maybe some other people I don't. Uh, You know, it's like, well, we're not under the law. That's true, but I want my neighbors to be under the law. I want some restraint so I can live in peace. That's, again, is that God's best? No. It's God dealing with a fallen world with a heart of love to to help people. Paul wrote to the Galatians. If you ever read the book of Galatians, a lot of it is about coming out of legalism and understanding the difference between the law of Moses and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 18, he said, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, the, the law 
the law of Moses, which included the Ten Commandments and, you know, some 600 other commandments. The law was, was given, but it wasn't God's best. It was good. It wasn't his ideal. In fact, when Jesus came, he, in essence, replaced the law with being led by the Spirit. One of the challenges we have, if you're a Christian now, is if you say, well, I'm not under the law. All things are lawful for me. That's what the Corinthians said too, which is not right. All things are lawful. And we can just do anything we want, but you haven't replaced it with a spirit-filled life. You've missed the point. See, God wanted us not to be regulated and ruled from without, but to be governed from within in this relationship being filled with the spirit. It's like one person said that said, the New Testament isn't written to Christians. It's written to spirit-filled Christians. And many Christians in our day have skipped over the spirit-filled part. They just say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and now, dude, you need power. It's like, like hoverboards don't work on water, right? <laughs> they need power. Christians, <laughs> Christians don't work without the spirit-filled life. They need power. They need spirit, a spirit-led life. When we become spirit-led, laws become unnecessary to you know, keep us from doing evil. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. I'm motivated by the Spirit of love, right? Okay, and so, but if someone's not led by the Spirit, you might need some laws. In other words, some boundaries, some constraints on your life. Uh, again, this wasn't God's best, and I'm leading up to something in saying this to explain God's character the way that he is, but in the book of Hebrews, on two occasions, we can see that the new covenant, which is in Christ, is superior to what God did before that. And it's Hebrews 7.22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And then also in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established to established on better promises. So the previous covenant was inferior to what God did in Jesus. Okay? The fact that God did the old does not mean that that is what he really wanted. I don't mean, the scriptures declare plainly that it was good, it was holy, the law was holy and good, but it was only designed to be temporary so that we could get to something better, which is, covenant with God through Jesus. Amen. All right. Say, so, well, why do we even need to know this? Why do we need to point this out? Because the Mosaic law, that just means the law that came through Moses, it had very harsh punishments attached to breaking the rules. There were numerous sins that the penalty was death. Okay. It was it was serious business. And it came from God. They were his rules. He wanted people to know what justice was. He wanted people to know what holiness was and righteousness was. And also then, he wanted people to give up. <laughs> what I mean by that, give up trying to uh, save yourself or, or make yourself good enough to gain God's favor and, and heaven. He wanted people to say, help, have mercy, send me a savior. And that was God's intent all from the beginning. 
is that he would send a savior and the law then would be set aside and we'd be filled with his spirit and he would get to show mercy to people who didn't deserve it. Instead of us getting what we deserved, the punishment, the recompense that we deserve for our sinfulness, he gets to show us kindness. He gets to show us mercy without losing his standard of, just, of justice. He's not unjust. He's not saying, I'm just going to ignore your sin. It's like the, the concept people will sometimes say, if God is God, why can't he just forgive everybody's sin? Independent of anything they do, or any, why can't he just wash away all sin? The answer is because he is just. Sin must be paid for. That's justice. That's righteousness. In the Old Covenant, he gave them, he helped them by giving them animal sacrifices and laws to adhere to. He said, if you'll do this, that will temporarily uh, save you from judgment. But it was all building up to the day when Jesus could once and for all redeem us all from all sin. He could take our place, God's wrath, God's judgment would be placed on Jesus on the cross so that justice is preserved, yet we slide in through Jesus and get mercy instead of what we deserve. Amen. That's the true God. That's what he always wanted. He doesn't want people to get what they've got coming for, to him. That doesn't mean it won't happen. He just doesn't want it to happen. And he has worked tremendously and set this up for thousands of years so that people like me could be forgiven for free. Could be, could be spared what we deserve. Now again, with the law, think about it. On the day the law was given, 3,000 people died. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, 3,000 people got saved. See, which one was the Lord's will? The second was he was working up to that. That's what he wanted. He doesn't want people to get what they deserve. I don't want to overstate that, but he wants to show mercy because he is a good God. Amen? Amen. If, this, if all this weren't the case, by the way, Jesus would never have come. He would have been unnecessary. The old covenant would have been just glorious. Let's just do this. You know, you speak, speak against your parents, we'll just kill you because that's, <laughs> you know, law. How many, how, many, uh, how many wouldn't be here? <laughs> like, yeah, I'd have been done like a long time ago. I never would have made it to adulthood in, in, in that system. Thank God for the grace of God. Now, having said all that, let me just kind of finish today with addressing uh, just two more passages. Sometimes, again, I, I wonder if I would go back if I would reverse my order because I, but I always want to say, say we, we, find the, the, we find God through Jesus. He's the perfect picture. But then when you set him aside and just read old covenant stuff, we're looking in the shadows. And when we read verses that seem to implicate God as being evil, it's like you're not seeing clearly. All right. But there are passages. Most of them can be cleared up with context. In other words, we look from a distance and see judgment falling on this nation or that nation go, oh, I don't get it. I thought God was love. Do you know how long he worked with those people? Do you know how many generations he sent prophets to preach to them? And often we don't get that part and we think God was just knocking them out. 
He has no pleasure. He gains no pleasure in people suffering the consequence of what they deserve. He's not feeling good about it. Lamentations, you know, written by Jeremiah the prophet as he laments. Chapter 3 and verse 33 reads, For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Basically, all the calamity that was spoken of in this book, he's, he, didn't, he didn't want it to happen. It wasn't his desire. He took no pleasure in it. He sent prophet after prophet to get them to turn their lives around. You might, you might even remember the story of, of uh, Jonah. Jonah being sent to Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. But Nineveh was in trouble. They're, they're, they'd used up their generous portions of God's patience and mercy and kindness. He said, now you go tell them. Clean it up or it's going to end. And he didn't want to tell them, but God wanted to show mercy to these people. He would be just in saying, wipe you out. But he didn't want that to happen. So he sent them a preacher so they could repent. Everybody say, thank God, thank God. for preachers. <laughs> By the way, the new covenant, that's, it's kind of like all of us. We're all sharers of the good news, right? But he didn't want this. In fact, even in this situation, he delayed judgment for hundreds of years. So we read and think, oh, how harsh. No, hundreds. <laughs> hundreds of years. But again, God is holy and just. He's going to do what's required. He, uh, the wages of sin back then were still death, just like they are today. The wages of sin is death. Gift of God is eternal life. But under the new covenant now, thank God, man, we're born in a good time. I don't think we know how good we have it. Jesus has already come. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus, Romans chapter five. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, he was punished. We get spared because he was punished in our place. He literally took my judgment. He took, my, he took what, I, what I had coming, what I deserve. Jesus bore it all. He was brutal, and he suffered in our place because that's the will of God. Amen. There is a passage that, again, people scratch their head at sometime, and I get it. Again, these are verses in the shadows. These are verses without the revelation of Jesus and the true God, but nevertheless, they exist. And I realize we don't quote these every day, but Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39 reads, now see that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there anyone who can deliver from my hand. See, now you, you read a verse like that out of its context and out of the Bible, and you're, you might conclude, he killed my dog, he killed my uncle, he, he wounded this, he did this, God did all these things. But, but slow, like way down. <laughs> that is not what, the, what God is revealing to us, nor does it have the clarity that Jesus brought in his own actions and, he, and in his own teaching. But what this is, in essence, Talking about, you can see God is basically saying there is no one else who is his equal. There is, uh, specifically in this context, there's no other God that's with him helping him out. 
All right? And, and read these things in context for yourself. But whatever is done that is a negative towards anyone is not done willingly. God's not smiling saying, I'm going to get him. No, it doesn't bring him any pleasure, again, for people to get what they deserve. Justice will stand, but justice includes God's sacrifices that allow us legally, Old Testament sacrifices, New Testament Jesus, that allow him to legally bless us even though we did wrong. To legally set aside sin and these things. I was in a meeting one time, a meeting, a small meeting in an office with a number of ministers, and we were discussing various things. And I don't remember what precipitated this statement, but one of the guys, good guy, I like him, but he, he just, he piped up and seemed like out of the blue. He said, you know, you know, God could just kill any of us, any one of us if he wanted to. And a few of us thought, where did that come from? It was, it seemed odd. And, and a couple of us objected like, hold on. <laughs> like, we don't believe that. I said, I said, well, what about the covenant? Don't we have a covenant with God? In the covenant, can God kill his covenant partners? How many know the answer to that is no? We're in partnership with him. We're in covenant relationship. All the promises are in the covenant. The covenant of long life. The covenant of health. The covenant of God's provision. All these things are in Christ provided to us. We have a blood agreement with God. Not only does he not want to do that, he can't do that to his kids. Now watch, I know sometimes people, oh, you just put a can't on God. I can give you a number of can'ts for God. Like he can't lie. Right? There are things that say that God can't do. And he's ne he can't break his word. Right? He, and he doesn't, he doesn't just set aside covenants. That was his choice and how he could relate to people. He established them way back, even before Jesus, so that he could bless people. He was looking for legal means because he's just. So the covenants allow him to do that. Now the covenant we have with God through Christ, it, he did that for a reason. Because he wants to bless and not curse. He wants us to be on the same page. He wants us to be on the same team. And so when I read scriptures like this, I am not going to conclude that whenever someone dies, God killed them. Again, come into the light. Jesus never taught that. Jesus never exercised that. I think when he was arrested, Peter would have killed a few of them. Jesus, in fact, he tried to kill one, remember? The sword took off the guy's ear. He's not going like this. He's going for the head and the guy moved. Don't you think? You stay away from Jesus or I'll cut off your ear. <laughs> no, he wasn't going for the ear. <laughs> I'm just saying that was not what God wanted. It's not what Jesus wanted, even for those who put him on the cross. You know what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was seeking mercy for those who were attacking him. He said, you're going to know the Father by looking at me. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for working in here today, helping us to see you the way you really are, helping us to know you firsthand, personal,
up close and know that you're never against us. You're for us. You're on our side. You are the greater one who abides with us forever.